All right, um, we are going to do something a little bit different today. If you notice the verses that we have up there, we're starting in verse 10 of chapter 13 instead of going to verse 1. And there's going to be a little bit of bouncing around in chapter 13. Um, this particular passage is, is one that we've talked about on a number of occasions. It's one that uh, is probably familiar to you, but it's one that, that really just, it doesn't fit in with the old Jesus was a good teacher picture that the world has. You know, the world, when, when you talk about Jesus, as long as you're talking about Jesus who is just the nice guy, the world's okay with that. The world's okay with the Jesus who taught us how to live better. They're not okay with the Jesus who commanded us to obey his commands and the Jesus who died on the cross because we're sinners. They don't like that. Uh, but the, the Jesus was a good teacher. The world likes that. But this passage doesn't fit that. Because this passage kind of goes against a lot that... that most of us would like to think about Jesus. And I'll, I'll admit, this is a hard passage for a lot of Christians to deal with. I would say that many of them would have a very hard time with what Jesus says here in verses 10 through 17. So I'm going to ask you all to stand, as we normally do. And I know 10 through 17, that's pretty ambitious. That's, that's, uh, that's eight verses. That's uh, No, no. I don't want to go overboard. So, Matthew 13, verse 10. When the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Let's pray. Father, as we read this passage this morning, let us be people who have ears to hear, and eyes to see, and hearts that understand. Help us to take your word this morning and to apply it to the way we live our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So, a little context, since we jumped over to the first part of chapter 13. Chapter 13 changes topic. Whereas chapter 11 and 12, we were dealing with Jesus and these encounters with the scribes and the Pharisees, and the scribes and the Pharisees trying to poke Jesus because they don't believe who he is. They aren't comfortable with him as the Son of God. Uh, they're challenging his authority. They're challenging his message. Here, starting in chapter 13, we see Jesus doing a lot of teaching. 
And he's teaching the multitudes. He's got huge crowds that are following after him. And he's teaching and he's teaching and he's teaching. And then in verse 10, the disciples ask him this question. Now, he's teaching with stories. I teach. Anybody who has ever taught before knows that when you teach, you sometimes have to use a story to get the point across. You sometimes have to use an illustration to get a point or a lesson into the minds of the people that are listening. Um, Jesus is using parables. Now, uh, a parable is different than uh, the, the, the two common forms of comparison that we use in the English language today. We use metaphor and simile, right? Flashback. Some of you are like flashing back to your, your high school English days. I said those two words and like, whoa! Simile is a comparison of using two things, like the, using the word like or the word as. So that characteristics of something that is similar uh, but different. So a black-eyed pea is like a pink-eyed pea. Right? They share similar characteristics. They're both a bean of some variety. They're a legume. They both have one color skin, but then the point where they connect to the pod is a different color. In the case of the black-eyed pea, it's black. And in the case of the pink-eyed pea, it's pink. But they're similar, but they're different. A metaphor is a comparison of two objects without using the word like or as. Waking up early in the morning is a pain in the neck. Okay, now, for we don't have anybody in the younger crowd this morning. <laughs> I was going to say, for somebody who's, who's like, you know, 14, 15, that is a figure of speech. That's a figurative comparison. It's unpleasant. It's not something that we look forward to, like a pain in the neck. Waking up early in the morning. For those of us that are over the age of 40, it could literally be a pain in the neck or the back, or the legs, or pretty much any joint in the human body, right? Um, A parable is laying something alongside something else. So it's using one story to teach a lesson that's different, okay? Um, Uses a truth from a known field like nature or human life, to convey a truth in an unknown field, like the kingdom of God, the nature and action of God. Um, A parable is actually a very complicated metaphor. Okay, A a metaphor can be very, very, very simple. Waking up early in the morning is a pain in the neck. Right? That's a very simple metaphor. A parable tends to be a lot more complicated and developed metaphor. Um, So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is something that's that's metaphorical he says the kingdom of god is like something that's similar that's a simile but it's the development of those into these parables and and the reason that i'm i'm telling you all this is because what jesus is doing is he's comparing an unknown the kingdom of god with something that his listeners would be familiar with if he's talking about somebody planting seeds there's bound to be somebody in this multitude who knows what it's like to plant seeds. 
If he's talking about somebody who's used to interacting with rich people, right? Because the poor people in Jesus' time always interacted with rich people. The rich people oppressed them. So it was not uncommon to be in debt to somebody. So when he said the kingdom of God is like, it was something they could understand, something they could wrap their hands around. Where I work, the way that this is, this is taught to us when, when we learn how to be instructors, this is called going from the known to the unknown. See, I can teach something that you don't have any clue about by using something that you understand. I do it all the time. Have you ever? How many of you know how a telephone circuit works? Okay, have you ever watched the Andy Griffith show? Ever in the past? Okay, so the Andy Griffith show is the known. You guys understand that when Andy would pick up the phone and, and click the little handle in the sheriff's office, that would cause a bell to ring in the operator's location, and Sarah would patch into that that with a cord and her headset, and she would talk to Andy to find out who he needed to talk to. And then when Andy said, I need to talk to Floyd at the barber shop, she would patch into Floyd's jack, and she'd turn a little crank that would make a bell ring in the barber shop. And then when Floyd answered the phone, she would take a patch cable, and she would go click, and she would go click, and Andy's phone was connected to Floyd's phone. Well, you know what? In the 21st century, that's exactly how telephone calls work. So I have just taught you from a parable. The Andy Griffith Show is like the way modern telephone works. It's the same thing. This is how Jesus was teaching, going from the known to the unknown. So as Jesus is teaching in this fashion, the disciples ask him, why? Why would they ask him, why are you teaching in parables? This is a very good way to teach. This is a very effective way to teach. So I have to imagine that when they ask him, why do you teach with parables? The unspoken part of that question is probably, why do you teach them with parables when none of the other teachers do? Because remember, Jesus taught different than the other rabbis. Jesus taught with authority. Jesus, when he read the scriptures, he would say, today the scripture is fulfilled. We're done. The shortest church service in history. Right? He taught with authority. When he said, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. I tell you, there's no wavering in that. There's no waffling in that. There's no opinion in that. Jesus just said, this is what that means. Period. So the disciples want to know, why are you teaching with parables when the other teachers don't? It's uncommon. It's not that teaching with parables was unfamiliar to them, because they identified it as parables. But it's because it wasn't a popular tool used by scholars in that time frame. Now, if I were to survey a hundred church-going people why Jesus taught in parables, and I did this, now Steph's not here, so I can pick on her. Y'all can rat on me, that's fine. We were walking around the block last night, and and she said, since I'm not going to be here this morning, what's your message going to be on? So I told her. It's about the question, why do you teach in parables? And she answered the way I would expect 
a hundred different church-going people to answer. Jesus taught in parables to take a hard-to-understand truth and make it easier for people to understand. And to a degree, that is right. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Jesus says in his answer, First, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. To you, the disciples, it has been given to understand the secrets of the kingdom. To them, it hasn't been. So the the you then being the disciples, the them would be those who are not disciples, right? That makes sense? Okay. Basically what he's saying is, even though you've been given the ability to understand, some haven't. But then he doesn't go on to say, so I teach in parables to make it easier for them. He doesn't say that. (laughs) Now this is... I want to stop here with verse 11 because this is a very important thing for us to understand. I have fought with this myself. I have battled this idea myself. Okay? Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and their response to you has been, that just doesn't make sense? I don't need it. I don't understand how that could be. That just, it doesn't make any sense. It's good for you, but it's not for me. You ever heard that answer? And have you ever wondered, how can they not understand it? It makes such clear sense. It's perfectly clear to me. Well, Jesus just answered that question. To some, it has been given to understand. To others, it has not. We can't seem to, in our flesh, in our humanity... We can't seem to wrap our minds around the idea that not everybody will be excited about the gift of salvation. How does that not sound like a good deal? I like free stuff. Do you not like free stuff? Right? What, what was the, the big deal this week? Was uh, uh, It was donut day at, at Krispy Kreme, right? They weren't free donuts, but they were giving donuts away really, 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 really cheap. And I saw pictures on Facebook from around the, around the country of lines circling the, the Krispy Kreme store. It's like people going to Best Buy when a new phone comes out. or it was Just lines and lines and lines of people. In fact, one of my friends showed a picture of the, they have a box where they're throwing the old donuts away because they keep making new ones. And, and he said, when you've been standing in line long enough, you're contemplating taking them out of the garbage box because you're so hungry for donuts. We love free stuff. Why don't people want a free Savior? How does that not make sense? Jesus answers that question and he tells us that the ability to see, the ability to understand this is a gift. It's a gift granted by God. And now here's something we don't like. He doesn't give that gift to everybody. We don't like that. He doesn't give everybody the ability to understand. That's not fair. Well, hang on just a second. Fair speaks of justice. Does he have to give anybody that gift? No. 
That's what makes it grace. He gives it to some. He doesn't give it to others. What makes that determination? He's God. He's the gift giver. I can give, I have four kids, I can give each one of those children a gift for their birthday, or I can choose not to. Do any of them have the right to tell me that I'm obligated to give them a gift? No, because if I'm obligated to do it, it's not a gift. It's a wage. See, when I go to work, my employer, the federal government, is obligated to pay me for my work. As my boss is all too happy to point out, when 4 o'clock comes around, if I'm still sitting in my office, unless there's something special happening, he looks at me and he says, we ain't paying you overtime. Leave. Because just as I'm not obligated to do my work for free, they're not obligated to pay me if I choose to stay there past quitting time. See, a gift is not obligated. A gift is a gift. It's free. Those of us who've been given that gift, now here's the other problem that we have. There's, there's so much in here that deals with us as believers that, that when you read this, you really, you know, it's almost like being front row center in a boxing match where the boxer's coming after you. We have to remember when we're talking to those people and they say that, you know that, that whole Jesus, Savior, sacrifice, hanging on a cross thing, it's not for me. We have to remember that it's not because they're stupid that they don't believe. We have to remember that it's not because we're smart that we do believe. It's not because we're somehow intellectually superior to them that we have seen the, the light and we've believed the gospel because we're geniuses and they're not. It's because God's given it to us. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 3 that a person can't even see, understand, conceive of the kingdom of God unless they've been born again, period. And how much did you have to do with your first birth? Not until afterwards. There ain't a one of us that had anything to do with our first birth except be present. And what do we have to do with our second birth except have a need for it? That's it. We have to be present. To continue with this, those Jesus says those who have the understanding, verse 12, for the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. The one who has not... Even what he has will be taken away. Now we're starting to hit to this, why do you teach in parables? Jesus says, the ones who've been given this understanding, more will be given. When you become a believer, what generally happens to a person when they first come to that point in their life where they place their faith and trust in Christ? They change. All of a sudden, we, we, we get a passion for studying His Word. We, hear, we have a passion for... <laughs> I, I, I have probably admitted way too much to you guys. Um, when Steph and I were dating, I was in church nearly every Sunday. 
Would you like to know exactly how many of those sermons I actually listened to? I think that's an overestimation. I didn't listen to anything. I didn't listen to nothing that was being said. And if I had listened to it, it wouldn't have made any sense. I had no desire. I had no, I didn't want to. I was there for a completely different reason. And before we come to faith in Christ, any of you ever read the Bible before you were saved? That makes sense? Uh-uh. Some of the stories may have made some sense a little bit, apart from anything else. But the teachings and stuff, why? What's the point? Why would this God being do this? It doesn't make any sense. We change and we get that passion. That's why when we're saved, we seek to study the Scriptures, or at least we're supposed to. We look to understand what Jesus taught we want to know what God wants from us and from our life. Not, we ought to actually do that when we figure it out, too. But um, the obedience part's a different matter altogether. But the desire, that want to learn, that want to hear from God, that want to know what He says. Jesus says, to those who have the ability to understand, more will be given. God will show us more as we seek, as we ask. God will give us more. Um, Paul pointed this out to the church in Thessalonica. He made the statement, not many should seek to become teachers. Why? Well, because to those who have has been given, much will be required. So I've told that to you guys before. I am not responsible for your salvation. But I am answerable for what I have done with God's word standing here as a teacher. I am responsible for how you have been fed and taught for the time that I've been here. More is required. So Jesus says to those who has been given, more will be added. And what's unspoken there is, the more that is added, the more is required. God doesn't save anybody to apply body heat to a chair. Think about that for a second. (laughs) That means God doesn't save us so we can come to church. God saves us so we can do His will. There is a requirement there. There's something he expects. But then Jesus says something that's really hard. It's really hard because we have that compassion, that human compassion going on. And how do we think of those who are less fortunate? In the United States, we have been conditioned. How do we think of those who are less fortunate? We, well, in some cases, but most of the time, especially in the church, we are trained, we are conditioned to act with compassion. We teach it to our youngest children. In fact, we do it wrong. We teach our children from a very young age. You have two toys in your hand. Give one of them to that kid who doesn't have any. Have compassion. Right? And then Jesus steps in and he says to those who don't have, even what they do have will be taken from them. 
whoa, wait, whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't sound very loving and compassionate and kind and that Jesus said that. What? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 when he's talking about the condition of man before he gets to chapter 3, verse 23, where he says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? He's talking about the Jews and he's talking about the religious people and then he's talking about the rest of the world. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. And he tells us that what can be known about God can be known from nature. Step outside and look. God shows us his existence. But instead, we take that understanding that he has given to us, that mental ability that we have, and we exchange worship of the creator for worship of the creature, and we suppress that knowledge that we have of him until it starts squirting out in other places and we're worshiping idol, uh, idols and, and we got idolatry and stuff going on. We got all these other things going on. And so God does what? Gives us over to a depraved mind. That word depraved doesn't necessarily mean perverse. It means dark. A darkened understanding. A darkened mind. A mind that's like stuck in dimness. How well do we see in the dark? Not too good. But how often are we actually in absolute darkness? Very rarely do we ever wind up in some place where there's no light. Right? And we still struggle. So what Jesus is saying here is that the, the little bit of natural understanding that we have is going to be taken away. It's going to be crippled. It's going to be darkened. The natural intellect is so twisted that the the wonderful knowledge of the kingdom of God is going to look like garbage. It's going to look like trash to be discarded and walked away from. Now, if that wasn't hard enough, (laughs) I'm only two verses in. (laughs) if that wasn't hard enough, then Jesus says he he taught in parables so that some had the ability to understand, some could could grasp it, and those who hadn't, then, then he taught them as an application of those who don't have will be it, what what they do have will be taken away. He taught them in parables to confound them. I speak to them in parables because seeing they don't see. I'm going to confuse what they see. I'm going to confuse what they hear. I'm going to confound them. I'm going to take what they do have and I'm going to take it away. That's a really, really, really hard thing for us to hear coming from Jesus. But he said this was prophesied by Isaiah. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. All the way back in chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. If you have not heard, if you are not aware, if you did not know this, you haven't been paying attention. Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite passages in the entirety of the Old Testament. Isaiah 6. Starts out with the opening, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord 
right? The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on His throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple with glory. And to either side of the throne, I saw the flaming ones, the cherubim, and they were flying next to the throne, and they had three sets of wings, and with one set they covered their eyes so they couldn't bear the holiness of God and the glory shining from Him. And with one set of wings they covered their feet as though to cover their creatureliness, because even though they were creatures serving in His presence, they were still creatures, not as glorious as God. And then finally with the third set of wings they were flying and they would shout an antiphonal response, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, right? At which Isaiah responds with his famous statement, I'm toast. (laughs) Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then one of the burning ones takes a coal and touches his mouth to cleanse and purify. And then God says, Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, Ooh, send me. Immediately after that, (coughs) verse 9 through 13 of Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to paraphrase it. If you want to turn there, all right, I'm going to paraphrase God's response. Okay, Isaiah, you volunteered to be my messenger. Now, here's the message. Y'all are going to keep hearing my message, but you're not going to understand. You're going to keep seeing my miracles, but you're not going to believe. You're, going to, you're just not going to get it. I'm going to send my word to you time and time and time again, and you're dense, and you're not going to understand. And quite frankly, you don't want to understand. There you go, Isaiah. That's the message I want you to take to my people. You ever volunteer for a task before you find out what it is? And then when you find out what it is, you're like, can I, can I take that back? Right? My good friend Danny, he says, at least God told Isaiah that the people he was preaching to wasn't going to listen to him. <laughs> Most pastors don't get that. <laughs> it's not going to change their life. It's not going to impact them. They're not going to hear it. They're not going to understand it. They don't want to understand it. That's the heart of this matter. Our flesh doesn't want to understand the kingdom. We really don't. If the flesh did want to understand the kingdom, if the flesh did want to, then we would seek God on our own. I always laugh when I hear people talk about making their church more seeker-friendly. That's, that's churchianity code words for we're going to put a coffee bar in the back and we're going to have music and, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to appeal to the flesh. Well, there's a problem with that. The flesh doesn't seek after God. We won't. We can't. And we don't want to. And if we really did want to seek after God on our own, then we would turn to Him on our own. We would turn and hear 
what he says. That's, that's what this prophecy here, uh, verses 14 and 15, indeed, in their case, those who don't have the ability to understand, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. How could these people see the miracles that Jesus did and not understand who he was? You will see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And what is the outcome of that? They would turn and I would heal them. If it was in us to seek God, we would. But it's not. Unless it's been given to us, it's not in us to seek Him on our own. And so Jesus told the disciples, I teach in parables because those who are in the flesh will be satisfied with a story that sounds good to their ears. I teach in parables so that the majority of the people who hear can walk away and say, wow, that man is really, really, really wise. Let's go get lunch. Because the vast majority of people who hear what Jesus has to say don't want the message. But, verses 16 and 17, Blessed are your eyes, because they see. To those of you who are born of the Spirit, those of you who have been given the ability to, to hear and to understand, it has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom. Blessed are your eyes and your ears. Verse 17. This ought to make us step back and say, Wow. Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Isaiah saw a vision of God seated on his throne, but he never saw the consolation of Israel. He didn't get to hear Jesus preach. He didn't get to see the Son of God come to redeem his people. Moses, David, Ezekiel, Abraham. Many prophets and righteous people. Noah, Jonah, longed to hear Jesus teach a parable about the, the different types of soil. To hear teaching about how the kingdom is like the weeds that get sown in the field. And how the kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed. They longed to hear it, but they didn't. They wanted to hear it, but they didn't. They wanted to see the consolation of Israel, but they didn't. And so his answer to the disciples, why do you teach in parables? On one hand, 
is because to those that it has been given, more will be added. And that comes with a responsibility. To those that it hasn't been given, even the most basic understanding is going to be taken away. And they're going to leave with their head is not much more than an echo chamber for that story that doesn't mean anything to them. If you think about those prophets and righteous people that longed to hear this message but didn't, if they wanted to hear the message but carried on their mission, their calling, even without it, what more responsibility do we have since we have it recorded for us? Since we're on this end of the gospel, since we're at this point in the kingdom economy after Christ has come and taught us these things, if they were willing and able to go and to tell and to preach and to share and to minister without having the message... Where should that put us?